Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Hoopheads, once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. Welcome to episode 42 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. As always, a reminder that if you haven't already, go listen to episode 41 with CJ Marchesani, where we got his perspective on the Detroit Pistons offseason thus far. But on this episode, I have a guest for you guys that I'm absolutely juiced about, Omari Sankofa, Detroit Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Omari, thank you for joining the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, obviously, this is a, uh, I feel like we're in the perfect bit section between, you know, like most, most of the offseason is done and we're just now getting started in summer league. So even just from browsing Twitter, it seems like we're at a a, a peak as far as <laughs> offseason conversation. So, no, I mean, this this should, should be fun. We saw a lot from Killian and Kane and whatnot last night. So a lot to kind of go through. Absolutely. So um, for the listeners, we have a first here on Motor City Hoops. I'm actually getting the pleasure of recording with Amari in person. Um, We're both out here in Vegas for uh, Summer League. So we're in here recording together. On this episode, we'll talk the Detroit Pistons draft class just a little bit. We'll talk Detroit Pistons free agency, and we'll even talk some NBA offseason news. But to start off, we're going to talk about game one of Summer League, where Amari and I both were in in attendance last night. Um, Omari, just your overall thoughts on this game and, and what you saw from the Pistons. For sure. Uh, you know, I guess I would start off by saying Summer League, of course, is, is weird. You know, you have a roster with a lot of guys who, you know, are not going to play uh, meaningful NBA minutes if they play any NBA minutes. So, uh, you know, I think it pushes a lot of guys into positions where they normally wouldn't be in during the regular season. Uh, I thought we saw some 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 good things for sure. Uh, you know, I think Cade, you know, of course, for his first two buckets to be uh, three-pointers off of Killian Hayes' assists and kind of teases the potential of what they can do. Uh, Sadiq kind of shows some juice as sort of a, a shot creator, which he didn't really do a lot of last year. Is a lot of catch and shoot for the most part. Uh, I thought Luca Garza had some good uh, buckets, but at the same time, for them to lead by 12 points after the first quarter and then it turns into a four-point loss, uh, that that game was ugly. That game was very ugly, and it's <laughs> tough to take any big conclusions off of it. But at, at the very least, I think you saw some things that, you know, if you're a Pistons fan or you're just looking for signs of the future, you saw some of that for sure. Yeah, that's what I think one of my biggest takeaways, Amari, was – I was excited the way the game started. I was like, man, the Pistons are going to win a game. They look good, and they're playing well. And then, man, after that first quarter, it, it got a little rough. And I uh, felt like the energy in the gym kind of just got sucked out. I don't know how you felt sitting there, but it's like there's so much energy. Cade hits those shots. We're playing well. And then Pistons stopped playing well. And then I felt like the whistle kind of started getting or the refs got whistle happy. And it just seemed like there was no energy in the gym there for like the second and third quarter. Obviously, the end of the game got a little more exciting. But I don't know if you kind of felt the same thing just being in the gym. I definitely felt the same way. I think early on, I mean, even just from the the uh, announcer doing the starting lineups and you get a huge cheer for Cade. You know, of course, everybody in there wants to see Cade. You're coming off of the game where you saw Jalen Green and Devin Mobley go together. So that's the main appeal. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that first quarter I thought was pretty exciting. Uh, you know, Pistons going a 12-0 run. Uh, Killian Hayes had, like, four or five assists in, like, the opening four minutes of, of the game. And, you know, of course, I mentioned Cade hitting those uh, couple three-pointers, including that uh, pull-up. So you're seeing some some good things happening. And then uh, Pistons just completely fell apart. And it was tough to just kind of pinpoint exactly why they couldn't get the offense moving. Uh, you had Killian Hayes and Cade Cunningham playing together during that entire first quarter. And they they didn't look bad by any means. You know, I thought Killian looked a little tentative on some possessions, and they probably could have got the ball in Cade's hands a little bit more. But they just completely stagnated out. They couldn't hit shots. They weren't getting – they just really weren't generating anything clean. Um, and then OKC, you know, of course, they had a pretty good team. You know, you have Teo uh, Maladon, who's obviously a very good player. Uh, you just look up and down that that roster. I thought Trey Man, like Trey Man's a guy I really liked in the uh, draft, and he kind of came a laugh toward the end there. Yeah. Um, Charlie Brown Jr. I mean, he, he was he was getting some things going. I think overall, just OKC has a deeper roster, 
And in uh, in 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 the end, I think that you know Killian and Kate just have to kind of build that chemistry and figure out. Okay, now it's your turn. Now it's my turn. And maybe some of that's Killian being more aggressive as a, a scorer and not deferring as much. Uh, there's still very much a filling out process that has to, to take place, but when you have Killian and you have Cade, you probably shouldn't be going as offensively stagnant as they were last night in a summer league game. I think you would expect more than what we saw. Yeah, I agree. And I want to talk about Sadiq Bey a little bit. You brought up, we saw a little bit more from him. Um, that's something I, w- I really like to see. You know, I mean, you could probably question whether Sadiq Bey needs to be playing in summer league, you know, coming back as a first-team all-rookie guy. But I thought he showed a couple things. He had a couple of those mid-range jumpers, like fadeaway, tough shots. I thought those were big time. I think those are things we want to see, need to see from Sadiq Bey to kind of continue to take his offensive game to the next level. So um, I think he had a double-double. I think he ended up with 10 or 11 rebounds. And... Um, led the team in scoring so what what, what did you like that that you saw from Sadiq Bey last night um as yeah he had 14 and 12. I thought his aggression was good to see I mean you know there's a couple possessions when maybe he should have given the ball up sooner but at the same time you look at his overall game and I think you know just to see him uh, kind of just take that onus of you know I'm, I'm, I'm a scorer and I'm going to score the ball uh, and again it's, it's, it's summer league you know I'm not you know I don't think he's going to do that during the regular season right uh, you know I, I, I thought overall it was good to see uh, you know for him to uh, kind of work this shot clock down and you know he steps into like that turn away that turnaround fadeaway jumper yeah yep. uh, you know like that's like sort of like a Kobe Bryant move you see him do that a lot like again I'm not you know I'm not comparing him <laughs> to Kobe Bryant which is as far as some sort of embracing being like that primary guy uh, he had a couple step back jumpers. Uh, that's just stuff he wasn't really doing last season. He wasn't doing that in, in college. And I think if he can uh, grow more comfortable next season, as far as like I can create for myself and I can hit these shots, but that's definitely something you want to see. Yeah. Uh, you know, like one player I've heard people compare him to, uh, even within the organization, is uh, Chris Middleton. It's a name that comes up a lot. Yeah. And that's those are things that Chris Middleton can do. So you you want to see that happen. And yes, like you, know, you can probably move the ball better. But again, it's summer league. You know, I think I'm more inclined to just take away like what can you build on during the regular season, and that's something you absolutely want to see him do. So, uh, definitely a very positive sign that he hit those shots pretty comfortably. And we're gonna come back and we're gonna touch on Killian Hayes and Kate a little bit as well. But what about some of the other guys? Um, I'm, I'm honestly, we're, we're probably not gonna get to the kind of the bottom end of the roster. Those guys that you know are gonna end up on the G League, but some guys that maybe have a little more chance making the roster, two way guys, um, Seku, Sabin Lee. I hate to even bring it up. Tyler Cook, you know, he, he was getting crushed on Twitter last night, um, fairly or unfairly. You brought up Luca Garza a little bit. He showed some things offensively. Um, but, you know, any we don't have to touch on every one of those, but was there one or two that stood out to you um, in one way or the other, positive or negative or, or a surprise? Yeah, I think Sekou to get five blocks. Uh, yeah, he was like, good. He was yeah, all over the place defensively. For sure. Like, that's what you want to see from him. You want to see him be aggressive. Uh, for a guy like him who's 6'9", uh, has really struggled on offense uh, in his first years in the, in the uh, league, uh, you want to see him at least add that value on defense. And I'm going to say this a lot summer league. You don't hear me say summer league a lot. Uh, but you want to see, you know, your core guys dominate. And, yeah, for him to get five blocks, for him to get active. I think he had six fouls, too. But, he did, you know, yeah. but again, you want to see him get active. You don't want to see him play shy. Uh, I thought he did that pretty well. And he probably had a couple other opportunities to, to score where he just didn't get the uh, ball. But overall, I thought he played a really solid game. Uh, Luca Garza from you know his first two buckets, he has the the uh, tip in, and then he has the three pointer, and then he had an offensive rebound and tip in a little bit later. But you know those are things he did in college. He was a good offensive rebounder. Uh, you know, of course, his post game we didn't really see that last Not night, yeah. but you know, but of course we know that he could do that. And then he was a really good shooter. Um, you know, like defensively, of course, he's a, a, a work in progress, and that's something he's going to have to learn the, the nuances of. But uh, for a team that doesn't have Isaiah Stewart, you know, just the big man rotation isn't where it needs to be for him to come in and pro- provide a little bit of, of an offensive spark, I thought was good to see. Uh, Saban Lee, like, hey, he, he had a rough start, but I yeah. thought he began to kind of find his rhythm toward the end a little bit, which was good. Uh, I know J.D. Uh, du Bois said late in the game that, you know, Saban, Cade, and Killian can all play together. And we saw Killian and, and Saban kind of find some rhythm together late last season. Uh, but that's still going to be a filling out process because two of, the, of those three guys can't shoot. <laughs> and whenever you have two guys that can't shoot, you're always going to have issues, even though that they're both pretty big for their uh, position. So that's more of a TBD. But I thought Saban showed a little something toward the end after struggling early. And then Spencer Littleson, uh, oh, you know, yeah. he, he like he hit that first three, then he missed his next four. But I like that the bench, like they put their hands up and they were uh, yes. excited every single time he took a shot. Like that tells me that this dude was lighting it up in yes. practice. And if he can, you know, knock down those those threes at the very least, 
Uh, and he has some issues on defense, but if he can knock down those threes at the very least, maybe he's a guy that you can see on, on the Motor City Cruise next season. So, so. that's uh, you, you bring up a good point. I think one. I think there's a couple ways you can find out how good of a shooter a guy is. One, whenever the bench shoots up or stands up every time he get you, they know he's going to get a shot. Usually, it's because he's a good shooter. And then you can also tell by how a defense reacts to a guy. You know whether he's a good shooter or not as well. So you, you bring up a good point because yeah, when he got that first open look, they were all standing up, hands in the air. Um, yeah, I thought Luca. One thing with Luca. Garza I thought was his body transformed like I thought it was noticeable you know it had been reported um, that you know he had lost 20-30 pounds but I thought it was noticeable when he walked on the floor last night that he had lost weight um, I thought he I thought he played fine but you brought up the post game with Garza we didn't see that I thought one thing, so transitioning back to the number one pick, Cade Cunningham, that I really thought the Pistons tried to do, not necessarily successfully, was get him the ball in the post. Um, is that something you noticed last night? Is that something you've heard um, part of his offensive game? Because we ran a couple sets, it looked like, to really get him the ball in the post. And at his size and some of the matchups he's going to get, it looks like that's an area where he could have an advantage. For sure. I think we'll see it uh, you know, here and there. I don't know if it'll be a focal point of his game. You know, Obviously, that's something he could do at Oklahoma State last season. Uh, you know, like this team just has such terrible spacing that I think he had a hard time really just kind of picking those matchups correctly. And, um, you know, plus I think his biggest attribute on offense, you know, beyond just his, his playmaking is going to be his shooting. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if he has a, a mismatch, you know, he's listed at 6'6". Six, six, you have a guy at 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, uh, you know, I would expect K not being a guy that has an elite first step, you know, would probably back him down and try to just work into a, a better shot. Uh, which we may see some more later on this week uh, during Summer League. Uh, like last night, I think they just, you know, him and everybody else just had a really tough time getting into a rhythm and kind of picking those spots correctly. Uh, but I think it's something that is going to have to be a part of his game on, at some point. You know, we've seen guys like, you know, Carmelo, Paul Pierce, who don't have, like, you know, blinding athleticism. Well, you know, well, Carmelo was a better athlete earlier in his career, obviously, but they had really good footwork and they were able to do that. And, um, you know, I'm not sure where Kay's footwork is as a whole right now, but I think that's something that he's going to have to develop if he really wants to be a uh, super impactful scorer just because he's not a guy that's going to blow past a lot of people. So we saw some bits and pieces of that last night. You know, didn't really get going, but, you know, I think by the end of the week we could definitely see more of that. Yeah, and, you know, I, I see frustrations with Cade's game from last night, and I just kind of have to chuckle. Um, I saw you kind of tweet about it, and, and I think, you know, James Edwards, all the all the, all the the beat writers, are, you know, it's one game, and you've said it multiple times already on the podcast. It's summer league, you know, and, and I tried to tell somebody this morning, Cade's a 40% three-point shooter, and he went, I think, 2 of 7 from 3 last night. So he's usually going to shoot 40%. So that's another one or two makes. He missed a couple buckets around the rim. Like, if he had 20, he easily could have scored 18, 19 points, and now nobody would be, you know, complaining about his game. He could have had a few more assists. Not to him. You know, I'm not here to hammer on Tyler Cook whatsoever, but if those are being dropped off to Stewart or maybe you have the pick-and-pop threat of Kelly Olynyk that we'll talk about later, he has five or six assists, and then everybody's, you know, happy. You know, and so... Um, he just struggled to shoot the ball, and it was game one. You know, another guy I thought that played well, his stat line looks really good, Omari, was Killian Hayes. But he was another guy, depending, you know, I talked to one person in the stands, thought he played like trash. Talked to another person, and they thought he played great. Like, what, what did you think overall about Killian Hayes' game last night? I thought Killian was fine. Yeah. You know, I think the things he struggled with were things we already knew he struggled with. Like, you know, his, two, three, his first two three-pointers were really rushed. I mean, they were, you know, ugly misses. And it's not that he can't hit that shot. It was just mechanically, it was just really rushed and really awkward looking. And that's something he's been working on with John Beeline this summer. So, you know, like uh, it's, you know, that's just something that we know he has to develop. But otherwise, defensively, I thought he was great. And of course, he kind of got the offense rolling early with his playmaking, and things really didn't begin to fizzle off until he. I thought he got subbed out. Um, you know, like you could say that maybe Kate could have the ball in his hands a little bit more. But realistically, Kate is a much better shooter. And you know, I think when they're on on, on the floor. You know, until Killian proves that he can shoot, and with Kate being an unselfish guy, that's kind of how it's going to play out. Uh, but overall, yeah, his defensive activity was great. His rebounding was great. Um, you know, of course, we know he can really pass the ball, and those things are going to be his bread and butter in the NBA until that offense comes along. Uh, I also thought his touch on those biddies he hit yeah. was really, really good, and that's a shot that he's going to have to get good at. You know, Dwayne wants him to get to the rim more, and he does need to get to the rim more. He didn't do that until at the end of the game. And he missed both free throws, and that's not <laughs> going to happen most times, obviously. He does need to draw more fouls. I think it would open up a lot for him if he did get into the paint and try to draw those fouls more. Because he's 6'5", and he's big, so he can draw fouls. Not that he can't do it, he just doesn't do it. Like, that biddy is good, and that's something that he should have in his arsenal. But, you know, I think if he got into the paint more, uh, you know, it would obviously draw the defense in more, and then you're creating those opportunities, you know, which is why 
uh, yeah, Kinley didn't have a, a perfect game because there are times when he could do more to get the offense moving and he's, you know, poking and prodding, but he's not just making decisive moves and he needs to be a little bit more decisive on some of those plays. But overall, I thought he was probably their second best player. I yeah. mean, you know, like if you say their best player was Sadiq, I thought Killian, just because he did so much, uh, was their second best guy. And if he can really pass and he can really defend, then, you know, I still think he's probably a starter for the Pistons next season just because those are so important things to have. Uh, and they're in a position where they can surround him with shooting as well. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's a situation that is still pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think Cade and Killian both are guys you talked about earlier. You've said it a couple times now, floor spacing. Whenever they get on an NBA floor with the, the Pistons and they have some good shooters around them, you know, that's going to open up. You know, we talked. I talked earlier about Luka Garza transforming his body. I think Killian Hayes noticeably looks stronger and bigger than he, what he did last year. And so you talked about that. I think the sub substitution pattern and, and this is no knock on the coaching staff or anything like that it, it's summer league again we've said this multiple times now and it's game one you want to get guys I, I did think that kind of messed up the flow a little bit you know it seemed like we got in a rhythm um, and then the subs came in and some of those guys you know maybe didn't perform quite as well but I want to touch on the defense this is something that's that's been talked about a little bit more and more as we're leading up to summer league and the start of the season and that's Killian and Cade's defensive abilities I thought they both showed that you know yesterday last night in the game um, they both have length. I think they, they anticipate. They're active. They're going to get be in one-on-one situations at time by quicker guys. You know, like Trey Mann had a couple last night where they went by, where he went by, and he. I like him too, as you mentioned earlier. But I thought those guys. I think those guys can be terrors a little bit defensively with their length and ability to get in passing lanes and just be active. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you have, you know, Killian is 6'5, K is 6'6. You know, I think Killian's wingspan is like 6'8, K is 7 or 7'1. Like, that's a lot of size. That's a lot of length. Uh, you're going to have some smaller guys who could kind of just like blow by them. But I think for the most part, and Killian really competes too. Like, he'll get over his screen and try to bother you, you know, all the way down. So, you know, even if you can't stand in front of everybody, that's not the, the end of the world. You know, for every put, put possession, you just need to be able to bother guys. But they have good hands. Like, we both saw them, you know, get steals and the yep. lead fast breaks. And obviously, they're both really good playmakers and fast breaks. So, I think, you know, when you look at their transition offense next season, that could really be a stretch for them. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of upside to playing Killian and Kate together. And I think defense is a big part of that. I mean, it's just not to me backwards in the NBA that I think just have that inherent upside right you yeah. know like um and that's one thing that i think people miss you know they say well how's this going to fit offensively uh you know these guys are 19 to 20 years old you can give that time to jail but uh defensively i think right off the bat that's going to be much better than a backcourt like damian Lillard and tj mccollum right like, or colin know. sexton and darius garland right yeah. like just, just based on sheer body type and mm-hmm. size yeah exactly like there are backcourts that nba teams have you know uh you know stuck with that just do not have that upside because they're smaller guys so uh, we saw some of that last night and if i tweeted this earlier but if there's one thing i think you could take away from a summer league game it is that that is something that could probably carry over into the regular season for sure yeah so how about i want to ask about a couple guys that didn't play so um anything that you can let us know on servetus like uh you know he was there i believed you know but not dressed out but he said on the bench um was there anything you can let us know in terms of why he wasn't suited up last night i think it was just a, a rotation decision okay uh, you know i think they just wanted to keep it a little bit you know tighter eight nine whatever uh, you know, with three or four games stuff, you know, I think those guys will get opportunities to show what they could do. Uh, you know, Servetus, like he did get playing time last season. He's been with the program for a year. Uh, they know what they have in him. Yeah, and I think if you're just looking at, you know, the, the priorities, right, uh, you know, like what are you getting from Servetus that you can't potentially get from some of the other guys on, on the roster? Like, let's see what you can get from Littleson. You know, let's see if, you know, let's see how Kate looks off the ball. Let's see, you know, if Killian can do some things off the ball. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure he'll play, you know, at some point this week, maybe tomorrow. But I just think in the order of operations for that game one, he wasn't a guy that needed to see the floor because he's probably not a guy that uh, you just look at the roster makeup. Like, what is he going to give you that you can't get elsewhere? Sure. Uh, you know, compare him and Tyler Cook. You need a, like you need a center. Right? Yeah. You know, like I said, Sturrs out. You need size. So I think we'll see him at some point. He just obviously didn't play last night. So you brought up the center position. We've, you've brought this up a couple times. It obviously was an area of weakness last night, Omari. You know, like on, on the boards, um, you know, Sekou provided some of that rim protection, which, you know, if he wasn't, there wouldn't have been much of all. So Balsa Kopravica, um, you know, also was there last night but did not suit up. Is that just because he hasn't been able to practice with the team, um, waiting for the trade to go through officially, or was that just another kind of minutes? Uh, yeah, so you know, he's eligible or, now. Okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's possible we'll see him at some point. He's not on the official roster yet, but um, yeah, they couldn't really do as much as they wanted last night. Uh, not last night, but last week because they had to wait for that trade to clear. 
So, uh, you know, I don't know for a fact that they'll promote him up and we'll see him, but obviously he's in Vegas and, you know, it, may, it could just be a matter of let's get him some practices first, um, get his feet wet, and then we can kind of put him in there. Because, of course, he's a guy that, you know, of course, plays a position that they need right yeah. now. So. I don't think he has a good chance. Yeah, so that's, I mean, he's a guy that uh, I think a lot of Pistons fans are all of a sudden becoming more and more intrigued with as we, you know, dig into it and find out more about him. He's 7-1, you know, and obviously these videos show up of guys shooting in the gym, but, you know, maybe he can stretch the floor a little bit, run the floor. Um, And then I I do want to mention, obviously we all know he's injured right now, but Isaiah Livers, the other second-round pick, you know, just not participating in Summer League because of that injury. Um, I, I think maybe the timetable he'll be back for training camp camp and all of that um i don't know if that's for sure or not but does it seem like he's on track for that i think it's probably a little bit more uh like november 1st was okay like the okay. last day for him so you know maybe he gets cleared before that maybe he's ready in time for when the regular season tips off in mid-october but realistically um you know like because once he comes back there's still going to be this period of like acclimating him and you know practices and everything i don't know how much of isaiah livers we're going to see next season it would have to be a you know a situation where they're injured and you look at Sekou during his rookie season it's just like all right Sekou, come on we need you but i don't i don't think you're going to rush anything with isaiah at all so you know if we do see him next season it probably wouldn't be till maybe 2022 got you got you so as we transition out of the the summer league game one and into just uh the offseason as a whole for the Pistons we've I've talked about this on the last few episodes of the draft free agency but obviously I want to get you know I have Omari on I want to get Omari Omari excuse me his thoughts on this so we don't have answers I typed it out in my outline but we still don't have answers on Hamadou Diallo and Frank Jackson we've talked about Saban Lee he got the three-year deal third-year team option which seems to be a Troy Weaver favorite with those team options um what about Hamadou Diallo and Frank Jackson um hearing anything about that you know is this something that's going to play out for a little while that we may not have an answer on for another month or two we were we we're talking about before recording that you know this the deadline for another team to give an offer she actually isn't for a little while so is this something we may have to wait out for some time i don't think we're gonna have to wait a long time for it um you know i think the pistons know what they want to do with both guys and you know of course they are restricted free agents so pistons don't need cap space to uh, bring Diallo back. As far as Frank Jackson, the amount of money that they can offer is a little bit more limited because they have nine bird rights on them. Uh, you know, I've read a lot about bird rights on the yeah. last two weeks. So <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, I think it's just you know I I, I don't I don't think this is going to be a process that's going to take an extremely long time. You know, I know fans. You know, you, you, you get antsy and yes. you're like, well, we need to know what's going on with these guys. Uh, yeah, you know, the Pistons, you know, they know what they want. You know, the guys with their agents, they know what they want. You know, it's just a process of going back and forth. Uh, you know, I'm not going to pre- predict anything, you know, because, of course, you know, other teams can still potentially try to post those guys away. And I think we saw with Christian Wood last season that, you know, if it's just more money than, you know, Troy Weaver thinks it's worth, then, you know, just it is what it is. Um, so, you know, again, you know, we're you know we're dealing with Trey Weaver, and you know he's not somebody who is going to do something just because it's popular or whatnot. Yep. But he did trade for Hamado uh, before the trade deadline. Uh, he was with OKC when they drafted him a few years ago, and you know Troy did more or less say at the end of the season that you know this is the guy that we envisioned being in, in the plan. So really, it's just waiting and seeing right now, and just kind of seeing what happens. Yeah, and I. I, I believe that as well. Like, I just feel like, you know, he trades for a guy from Oklahoma City. You know, that's not a guy he, like, I feel like the Dennis Smith Jr. thing, one, Derrick Rose wanted, I, I believe, again, I have no sources whatsoever. I just believe that's where Derrick Rose wanted to go and, and Weaver and the organization obliged. Um, you know, and Dennis Smith Jr. was like, let's take a chance on a guy maybe. I feel like Hamadou is like, this wasn't necessarily a chance. This was like a guy that Weaver w- believed in and kind of like pinpointed, like, that's a guy I want a part of this you know, young core or the building. Um, so I, I find it hard to believe Hamadou Diallo doesn't come back. What about Frank? Frank Jackson's a guy I really like. Um, I thought he played really well last year. Obviously shot career high 40% from three. I may be higher on him than a lot of people and, and, you know, maybe even the organization. What's your feel from your own opinion or even the organization's opinion on Frank Jackson? And, and is he a rotation guy next year? Is he just a depth piece? Obviously we brought back Corey Joseph. Um, Josh Jackson's still on the roster as well. But I would like to see him on the floor. I think that floor space, I know he doesn't bring a whole lot else, Amari, but I think that floor spacing is valuable with this team. It is valuable. I think the thing with Frank is that he is a player that during his first years in the league, first two or three years, uh, wasn't a strong outside shooter. And then he kind of found his rhythm uh, with the Pistons this season. 
uh, you know, I think, you know, you wonder how much of that was this is he's going to come back next season. And we know for a fact he's going to be hitting, you know, 37, 38 percent from three at least. And how much was that? You know, he's he's a uh, a good shooter. But, you know, we don't know if this is something that we can rely on for him full time, because, you know, like you said, if he's not shooting at that clip, uh, it's tough to justify playing him over some other uh, players because he's not. Like, he's not a point guard. He's 16, no. but he's not a point guard. Correct. He's not somebody yep. that you want creating for other people. You want him playing off the ball, picking his spots. You know, that's his strength. Uh, yeah, and of course, you have a pretty crowded backcourt, right? You know, you have Killian, you have Saban. Uh, if you bring Diallo back, then you have him. You know, of course, Cade is probably, you know, a two or three. Um, yeah, you know, it's a pretty crowded backcourt. Um, you know, I, I know I know Dwayne is a big fan of, of uh, Frank Jackson. He, you know, he talked about, you know, he belongs a lot last season. Uh, you know, but on that, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, you know, the, the the money might get too high. There might be another team who's like, you know, we're going to toss him this because he shot 40% from three, and, you know, we, we need that. You know, and if you're the Pistons and uh, you're already pretty much at roster capacity, you know, if I'm making additional moves, you know, we'll just have to wait and see, you know, so... You know, I don't want to say. You know, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to throw any pred- predictions out there. But that was very much a wait and see for me. Yeah, for sure. That, and you bring up a good point. Like if if the forty percent doesn't stick, you know, if he falls back to a 35 three point shooter, then you know the value on the floor is just not quite as much. Um, I I think he fits well with the Pistons because you can put him with a, a point guard who's bigger. So then defensively, it doesn't become as big an issue. You know, like you, you mentioned him, he's essentially a six three shooting guard, which on some teams is a major issue. But on the Pistons, whenever you have a six six or six eight Cade Cunningham, whatever he actually is. <laughs> I know that was a lot of discussion yesterday, and a six five Killian, you you know it makes a little bit more sense. You can you can figure that part out. Um, let's move to the free agent signings. Um, uh, you know, unrestricted free agent signings, I guess, kind of the outsiders. Corey Joseph is not Joseph, not technically an outsider, but let's start with Kelly Olenek. Three years, 37. I think initially, uh, I don't know if fans jumped on this somewhere or whatever, but we thought it was a team option. I saw the other day that it's a partial guarantee. Three million in the third year. Is that right, Amari? Yeah, I saw that reporting. I know for a fact they have a team option. Uh, the partial guarantee, it, it was it was Keith Smith, so I assume, okay. you know, like, so that sounds right to me. Okay. Um, so, obviously, Mason Plumley was traded. Kind of a... So, I don't... I say surprise, but to me, it wasn't necessarily that he got traded. It was the way the trade happened, moving back in the second round to to move on from Mason Plumlee. Um, I always like to remind everybody that also created a trade exemption of $8 million with that trade that can be used down the line. But opens up a spot for Kelly Olenek. I'll be honest, Amari, this was a guy that I was not necessarily high on when the move happened. I kind of liked a guy in the Nerlens Noel mold, but as I dove into some film breakdown, and you guys can go check that out on Detroit Bad Boys, um, I really like this fit. And we've talked about floor spacing, right? You talked about that multiple times with last night's Summer League game. If there's one thing Kelly Olenek's going to do at, at, at the five, it's going to be able to space the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the biggest criticism with that move, obviously, is that he's not good defensively. And, you know, if you want to win games, you're or can't defend. And Isaiah Stewart, I think, showed a lot of upside as a rim protector last season, but he's still 6'8". Uh, that's a potential big hole on the roster, which I agree with. But I'm going to say this, and, you know, it probably won't make a lot of sense, and then hopefully after I explain it, it makes more sense. Uh, if you're not a championship team, uh, you know, you can't always make championship moves, right? Sometimes you have to make a move that is just, we need to help our guys get to where they need to go. You know, I don't know if Kenny Olenek is going to be on the roster when the Pistons are a championship contender, but I know he's going to make life a lot easier for Cade Cunningham and Killian Hayes and Saban Lee, you know, having a guy that you can pick and pop with and you can really shoot. Like, that was a massive roster need is just having a guy that can really shoot. And, you know, Kenny Olenek is an extremely gifted offensive player. Like, he's going to make, on offense, he's going to make life a lot easier for guys. So, you know, for this season, when your core players are all between the age of 19 and 22, um, you know, just having a guy, a vet who could come in and just really make life easier for you on offense, I think is a major, major uh, plus to have. Uh, yeah, I think his contract is fine. We saw a lot of shooters get paid this year. We saw shooters get paid last year. Like, Bertheim signed like an 18 or 19. Doug McDermott. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like that's just kind of how it goes. I don't think his money is... I kind of I feel the same way about this as I feel about like Jeremy Grant. Like regardless of what the money is, can you trade this contract in a year or two? And the answer is yes, and that's all that really matters. Um, yeah, I think he makes life a lot easier. Like I don't think in a season when this team obviously is not a championship contender yet, having a guy that doesn't protect the rim is like <laughs> like it is what it is, right? Like like let's look at what he is giving you, and you know I think he's giving you a lot on offense. He fixes a lot of these on there. And, you know, you want Killian and Kate to have as much space as possible to operate so that they can, you know, do what they do best, right? So, you know, in that regard, I think it makes sense. Um, 
yeah, makes the pony does some things better. You know, he's probably a slightly better defender, although, you know, he obviously wasn't like a great rim protector either. So, you know, then how much does that really matter? You know, he was a better passer. Yep. Um, and that trade was kind of janky. Like, you, know, you look <laughs> at it, it's like, you know, Plumlee in 37 for 57. And it's like, okay, you know, you don't see that one every day. Yeah. But, you know, of course, it was a salary dump. You know, they got the guy they wanted who was Olenek. And, yeah, this guy does plug a lot of holes for them. Now, to get a guy who can shoot like Olenek that also really protects the rim, now you're talking about a max guy. And yeah. they didn't have max money. So, yeah, sometimes you got to work with what you have. And I think he makes sense for what the Pistons were going for. No, I think that's a great point yeah. that, you know, I, I don't think anybody, fans included, would think. Nobody thinks that this team is in a, a championship you know, in the next two or three years, you know? And so I, that's a great point. Um, I hadn't thought about it that way, but you know, you, why make a championship move? Like why, you know, I mean, if you could fill every hole, yeah, yeah. great. But again, then you're tying yourself up to max money, you know, yeah. which we don't have and, you know, f- future cap space and flexibility, which Troy Weaver, I, I think personally, Rod Beard came on and talked about this, did a great job opening up the, the cap sheet and, you know, in, in future years, especially after we get off the Blake contract. But Kelly Olynyk makes life easier on the guys you really want to see develop. And so, you know what? If we paid $11 a year to help the development of Cade Cunningham and Killing Hayes, like that's a heck of an investment if you ask me. So I think that's a great way of saying it. I think that's perfect. Yeah. You know, you nitpick the Milwaukee Bucks losing P.J. Tucker because they're trying to win a championship yep. and Tucker yep. feels a lot of hose for you. You know, nitpicking the Pistons moving on from Mason Plumlee to Kelly Olynyk, but now that those guys are getting closer to a championship, <laughs> to me it's kind of like, in the grand scheme, nobody's going to care in three years. You know, I think sometimes fans get mad about stuff that just does not matter. Like this time last year, you're debating Luke Kennard and like, where's Luke Kennard now? Like he's out <laughs> on, on the Pistons. It doesn't matter. And everybody loves yeah. Sadiq Bay. Everybody loves Sadiq Bay. Like sometimes these moves in the moment, you're thinking about in the moment, this is not getting us closer to a championship. That it's like, what are you going to do when your entire team is super young and the best option is to let them develop anyway, right? Like, you know, you're, you can't make championship moves for your championship team. And I think, you know, to criticize the old Lenny deal to that extent, you know, you'd have to think the Pistons are pretty close when they're obviously not. They won 20 games last year. Yep. So, yeah, he's going to make life easier for Katie. He's going to make life easier for Killian. And in the grand scheme, that's probably what they're prioritizing now because to win a championship, you need those guys to get to the next step. Uh, you know, but I covered the Grizzlies. They traded for Jonas Valanciunas in the Marcus Saw deal, and then they ended up extending him. And people were like, well, we have Jaron Jackson Jr. who we just drafted. He's probably a five long term. Why are we doing this? Uh, you're ignoring that Jaron fouls a lot, that he's not a great rebounder. Obviously, he's a great shooter. He's a gifted player. When he gets where he needs to go, he's probably going to be a better player than Jonas Valanciunas. But that doesn't mean it's a bad idea to get a player who, you know, feels some of Jaron's weaknesses right now and takes pressure off of him while he continues to develop. And now Grizzlies fans are sad about Jonas Valanciunas leaving because <laughs> they saw how valuable he was to the team. So I think this is just a similar deal to that. Like, don't put too much on your young guys before you have to, if you don't need to, basically. So, yeah, I think I, I like the Olympic move a lot, clearly. And I think it's going to work out pretty well. And we will touch on Valanciunas a little bit later when we go around the NBA as he was involved in another trade this offseason. But, again, I just think that's a, a great point to make. That, And you also made another good point there, Amari, in that you don't, you can't judge every individual move on its own. Again, the, the Plumley trade looks a little wonky on the surface, but again, it, moving back 20 spots, creating an $8 million trade exemption, and then opening up a spot for Kelly Olynyk, who does a better job of de- helping develop these young guys, well, then that's worth it, you know? I mean, it, it, it's okay, but I think all the time you try to look at each individual move, and I think we've learned with Troy Weaver, you absolutely cannot do that because he has a plan that's multiple steps ahead. I mean, and to me as a fan, that's exciting, you know? Like, I don't think we just have a gunslinger who's just, hey let's make this this you know even though he's seems like he's making a lot of transactions at times but it seems like he has a grand plan and a, a vision and as a Pistons fan that that's what gives me hope a lot is seeing that vision and 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 believing in it yeah for sure I mean the Pistons have invested a lot in their player development you know you have the multi-city yeah. crews coming in like that's just where they're at right now and I do see a lot of parallels between what the Grizzlies are doing and what the Pistons are doing so, you know, when I see the Pistons making some of these moves that, you know, because some of the things I saw the Grizzlies make that, you know, at the time, it's like, you know, I don't know. But, you know, these guys scout, you know, 24-7 during the 65 days a year. Uh, you know, they looking at their, co- their cap situation, not just for this season, but the seasons beyond. They have an outline of what they want to do. And they're not making moves. Um, good NBA franchises don't just make moves in a vacuum. They're trying to compile you know, they have all these levers they're trying to pull just to kind of, come, you know, figure out where they want to be in 2023, 24, 25. Uh, so, yeah, the Pistons operate that way. And 
Yeah, I can say pretty much with certainty that if Kelly Olenek is on the next championship Pistons team, you know, they're going to have that rim protection gap, you know, settled as well. Like, that's something you, you, you can fix down the road. You don't yep. have to fix that when Kerry Cunningham is 19 year, years old and Killian Hayes is 20. And if you make the playoffs, that's a great season. So, yeah. Yeah. No, and that's what I think, you know, one thing that gets lost in this sometimes, and I was talking about somebody this about this the other day, like, at the end of the day, for us to become a championship contender, and you may disagree, but like, Cade's gonna have to turn into the guy we all hope Cade becomes. So I don't want to say none of these it, these other moves don't not matter. But if Cade doesn't become that guy, none of this other really stuff really matters. And really, if Killian doesn't develop, if Isaiah Stewart, you know, some of these other. So again, I know we've said this multiple times now. If Kelly Olynyk helps that development of Cade Cunningham in any way, then it's worth eleven million dollars a year. Because at the end of the day, we need a superstar, the face of the franchise, that guy. And right now, in my opinion, the only person on the roster capable of that and reaching that ceiling is Cade Cunningham. So I mean, that's. At the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to. And then, you, like you've said, you figure out the rest of it. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. You know, it's all about Kate. He's the guy. He's the number one pick. Uh, he's the player, you know, more clearly than any player they've had since who knows when that can get this team, you know, to that next level. So, yes, the priority right now is just getting Kate to that level. There's no other move they can meaningfully make, you know, this offseason that is better than just helping Kate get to that level. Uh, you know, you hear fans say, well, we need a player who can do this, that, and the other. That it's like, okay, you're talking about Giannis. You know, it's like, you know, like how do you acquire that player? You can't. So you have to operate within the bounds of what you can do and not what you want them to do. Yep. You know, like you're playing 2K and you can just, you know, turn the slider up and down. Right? Like, that's not how it works. <laughs> um, so a couple other, you know, we, we, we cut Corey Joseph or Wave. I don't know exactly what the correct term is there, but to save some money, then we bring him back on a two year, $10 million contract. I like this veteran point guard. Again, you know, we, we keep hitting on the same point, but. Not a bad to have that around to help develop Killian and Cade Cunningham and, and anybody else on the roster. Um, and I, I thought Corey Joseph played well. You know, I, I mean, when he got when that trade happened from Sacramento, you would have thought he was the worst player in the league, the way Sacramento fans talk. I thought he played well. Um, obviously, there's sometimes he can be frustrating. And then Trey Lyles, two-year, $5 million contract, second-year team option. Again, the team option shows up. Uh, again, I think this is a depth signing. I think it's, in, for to me, it's insurance. Um, you know, if Sekou doesn't develop the way we all, I think we all want to. I know I do. I'm a Sekou fan. I want him to be successful. Um, but I, I thought those were just smart moves, solid moves to help the depth and give a little bit of veteran leadership to the organization and the squad. Absolutely. Yeah, so Corey Joseph, you, you, you look at that, uh, you know, option he had where he's only guaranteed, you know, $2.4 million out of 12.6. You kind of look at it and it's like, you're probably not going to find a better veteran point guard than Corey Joseph just because he was so good in those 19 games he played last season. And he, you know, does have that camaraderie with Dwayne Casey and he did embrace that leadership. Like, the next guy you bring in, is he going to give you all that? And it's, it's, the answer is probably no. But $12.6 million is a lot of money to pay for that. <laughs> so it's like, well, you know, does Corey Joseph want to leave that money on the table and re-up for a cheaper deal? And that was just kind of like the big unknown. And clearly the answer was yes. So I think that's probably one of the best moves they could have made this offseason is just to and you have a player option so it might end up being a one-year deal and i'm yep. sure for him that was the catch right like you have a good year and then you can re-up and make more money on on, on the back end uh but no i thought it was a good move to get you know cj back uh you know we saw how good he was for the team last season um you need a veteran point guard because Cade is a rookie you know killian is a sophomore statements like you just need some experience back yes there. yes um so i like that move a lot I thought the Trey Lyles move was interesting because he's a guy that, you know, he was a lottery pick a few years ago. Uh, he had a reputation as a shooter, but he hasn't been. Well, I looked at his synergy number, and the synergy number for his spot-up last season was really, you know, pretty good. Okay, like, yeah, so if you just look at the, the base numbers, it's not overly impressive, yeah. I think, if I remember yeah. right. But the synergy numbers are a little better. Just the synergy like... numbers were better. I think he only shot like 34%, which is okay, but that's not like, you know, you, I wouldn't call him a shooter. He's yeah. a guy that can shoot. Um, but, again... You know, he is a better shooter than Sekou Dumbuya, which is why I think they made the move. You know, I think Sekou is very much in sort of a show-improved situation. Uh, you know, I think he's a year away from being extension eligible. Uh, and he's just been on the cusp of rotation outside of, like, that 10-game stretch during his rookie season. Um, so if you're just looking at the roster from a, we want guys who can come in and you, they're known commodities, which I'm, I still don't even know if Trey Lyles is a known commodity <laughs> at this point, to be fair. But, you know, if you feel pretty good about him being a shooter and two years, five million, is, I mean, that's really, really, really cheap. You know, at that point, it's kind of like, why not? Right. Yeah. You know, I don't think Sekou has proven that he can uh, consistently give you 15 to 20 minutes of good play per night, which is what the Pistons want. 
Uh, he'll have flashes here and there. He'll have good games, but consistency has been a huge question mark. And if nothing else, even if Trey Lyles is not much better, it at least creates a little bit more competition in the room, which I don't think the Pistons view as a bad thing. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I think the Trey Lyles move is a, a bit of a surprise. But if he comes in and shoots 37% from three, nobody's going to, you know, like it's, it's another one of those moves where, you know, it's hard to say it's good or bad. You just have to see how it works out. You know, if Trey Lyles comes in and he's a really good shooter and you have him on this, you know, really friendly, you know, team deal, that's a great situation to have. So, yeah, that's a TBD, but, you know, clearly the Pistons see upside in him, and he's still young, so we'll see how that pans out. Yeah, and that, I mean, it was a move that, like, didn't really move the needle for me, and I'm, I'm not going to say it does still, but you brought up the competition, which is always a good thing. And so I went to the film and, and started looking at his game a little bit. I think he's a good rebounder. He's he's a ball, what I call ball mover. That's probably not the best way to describe it, but the ball doesn't stick. You know, he catches, he's either going to shoot it or he's going to make the next pass. So, you know, maybe there's not a ceiling there, like what people think there is for Sekou, um, but if if Sekou doesn't show that development, you have a guy that's just a solid NBA player. Nothing special, but again, like maybe he finds a shot like the way Frank Jackson did, and if he becomes a, a high 30, 40% three-point shooter along with some of the other things he does well, who knows? So, and at, at that price with the team option, like it's it's not a big deal, and if Sekou is who we all think he is, or hope he is, then it's not going to matter anyway. It's not, I mean, he, he I, I imagine he has every opportunity to beat out Trey Lyles for minutes, you know, coming off the bench. Yeah. So, you want to, for Sekou to be able to beat a player he needs to be he needs to be able to beat out Trey Lyles if he can't beat out Trey Lyles then guess what you know the situation just resolved itself basically yep. so yeah that's clearly a, a move where the Pistons are uh, you know think you're still on the roster but at the same time we're still trying to win basketball games right yep. and if we think this guy's a chance to be a player too then you know you might as well go out and get him Absolutely. So just a couple things that I don't believe had come out uh, before the since or that have come out since the last recording. Roddy Magruder was waived. Um, we're not going to necessarily dive into this stuff, guys. But and then Dennis Smith Jr. Essentially, we renounced his rights. I think would be the right way of saying that. Is that you know we or didn't give him a qualifying offer? That would be yeah. That's probably the right way. To say okay. That, yeah. And so um, those things have happened since then, but. For the rest of the episode, we're going to go around the NBA a little bit. In, in last episode, we talked about the Chicago Bulls offseason, the Miami Heat offseason, some of those teams that just really did a lot of things. But I want to pick Amari's brain about a, a few other teams, um, and we'll try to get to at least two in the East and two in the West based off time here. Um, but I want to start with a team that probably is nobody's favorite. I don't know how you feel about them, but the Brooklyn Nets. So, you know, obviously they have the big three. I actually like their draft. They got Cam Thomas, who I think is a, is a scorer. Um, Dayron Sharp, who's a big guy. They keep Blake Griffin and Bruce Brown, former Detroit Pistons, obviously. And then I think a really good addition in Patty Mills. Um, I think he's, I really like Patty Mills' game, especially on a team like this. Um, they also traded for Javon Carter, signed James Johnson. Um, what are your thoughts just on the Brooklyn Nets? I know not a ton of moves there, but just kind of in general, a team that's, you know, really, you know, needs to win a championship next year. For sure. Yeah, I thought they had a good offseason overall. Like, I mean, obviously your big three is Durant, Harden, <laughs> and, you know, Kyrie. There are too many moves you could make that, you know, significantly lower your championship ceiling. But they did need a big man. Uh, you know, you're, you're, like Nick Claxton was a big rotation guy for him, and I like Nick a lot, but he's still young. And, uh, you know, like DeAndre Jordan, like, yeah, you know, he's, he's past his prime. They needed a little bit more size back there. And De'Ron Sharp, I think, for where they were drafted, yeah. is probably close to a best-case scenario there. Like, you know, I liked him a lot. Cam Thomas, I like Cam. Here's the thing. You know, they don't, like, the, the Brooklyn Nets, like, there's one thing they don't okay. need is scoring. That's fair. Fair and enough, yes. All Cam Thomas does is score. <laughs> okay, so that's, a, that's just, a... You know, so if you're doing it from, like, just a value proposition, uh, like, okay. this is the best player available here, I think it makes sense. But, you know, like Cam Thomas' best case scenario is probably like a poor man's Kyrie, and you already have Kyrie. Okay. So, you know, I kind of, you know, so that one I was kind of like, yeah, you know, I don't know if that really, I don't know how much he, he plays for him. But, yeah, I mean, Blake, you know, I thought he was really solid for him last year. Like, you know, he's firmly a role player at this age of his career. Uh, you know, they got him back really cheap. Clearly, Blake wants to be there. Like, I thought that was fine. Uh, you know, good move. Um, Patty Mills, I mean, yeah, that's a great pickup. I mean, yeah, like, your point guard rotation is Kyrie Irving and Patty Mills. You're in pretty good shape. Uh, James Johnson, I thought, was a really good pickup, like, just as a, a role player. I think he's a solid role player, yeah. right? Like, he can give you a little bit. He can score the ball, yeah, get some rebounds. Know, yeah, like, just solid you know, player. Like a wing defender, like, yeah. overall. And then they got Javon Carter, too, right? Yeah, that, uh, yeah. I think that was uh, – I didn't put it in the notes, but it was like a. Tr I think they traded maybe a Landry Shamit or something. So or something and, like and that. that. So that's the defensive guy you're talking about. Like, yeah. I mean, that's what he's known for. Yeah. So. Like I covered him uh, briefly when I was in Memphis. Sure. And he he's a much better shooter than I think he was at West Virginia, and that makes that you know trade a lot better. Like he's your third point guard, and he's purely a three and D guy, uh, decent playmaker. 
But yeah, like for a third point guard, Javon Carter's great. So overall, like I thought they had a pretty good offseason. Like, you know, of course your big three is so good that yeah. you really just need to fill the margins out. But they did a pretty good job before they got the margins. That's what that's what I guess that was my thing with him. Like, you know, you just and again, I, we can think people can think whatever they want about Blake Griffin, and I understand it. I'm fine, but then that he was a good player for Brooklyn. Like he found the energy or the the leg, you know, whatever you want to say. Like we don't have to get into that, but I thought he played well for them. Bruce Brown, another guy that I, you know has found that nice role. Sometimes I think it's funny that people like he. I don't think that would have been his role in Detroit, you know. But he went to another team, found his role. You bring up a really good point with Cam Thomas. Like that's not it was great value, but not necessarily a need. And and whenever you're at their level, usually it's more for need. I like Javon. Carter and James Johnson. I like those two a lot. Let's move to a team like in a little different space, and that's the Charlotte Hornets. I'm excited about watching them today. Um, Book Knight had a big game in the, I don't mean to say it in the back gym in the wrong way, but in the, in, you know, in the, the other gym, um, not in the Thomas and Mack. But he had a big game. Kai Jones had some highlight plays. I liked their draft a lot with Book Knight, Kai Jones, JT Thor. Obviously, Mason Plumlee got traded there. They signed Kelly Oubre Jr., Ish Smith. Um, what do you think about the Charlotte Hornets just in terms of, like, not a championship contender. I understand nobody's going to say that. But just as a team that's continuing to kind of make their way up in the Eastern Conference a little bit. I thought their offseason was great. I feel like they needed a center for, like, 10 years. So to get Mason Plumlee, who's very firmly a good starting center, was a great move. Uh, you know, Devontae Graham, who, you know, is a good shooter. Like, you know, for a guy who was a former second-round pick or was he even a draft pick? Was he undrafted? Uh, I'll have to look. You know, anyway, he, you know, he was the guy that just kind of, you know, came onto the scene unexpectedly and was good. Yet... You have Lamella Ball and you have Terry Rozier, and he is very clearly the, the third best player in that pecking order. Yeah, he was an early second round. Yeah, pick thirty four. So. You know, so to get a first round pick for him, yes, I was first great. round in return. Yeah, yeah. You know, actually, I thought that was fantastic value for him. You know, to get a first rounder for a guy who was like probably thirty year point guard pecking order anyway. Like you, you could play Terry Rozier and Lamella Ball together probably, but Devontae Graham is like you can't play all three of them together. So to get a first round pick for him, I thought was really really good. Uh, Book Knight, like one of my favorite guys in the draft. If he shot like four percentage points better from three, he's probably from me a top six pick. Uh, so I thought that was an excellent value pick for them. Uh, you know, he's a guy that can, you know, he probably comes off the bench for them next season. But you know, you're looking long term. You know, if your long term uh, backcourt is him and Lamelo Ball, and you can eventually flip Terry Rozier for something, that's a really good situation to be in. So I thought that was a great draft pick. Kai Jones was like I don't know if there's like a more mixed opinion guy in the draft than Kai <laughs> very, Jones. Very polarizing. Yeah, he's got all the the tools, but I don't know if people know if he could put it together. Just with his approach to the game, he's very raw. Um, again, like they needed a point a center. I feel like for like ten years. So if you're just taking a risk on a guy, you know, especially for where they picked him at, like I think that's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then JT Thor, who you know I got a few you know sad emails from fans who didn't like <laughs> that the Pistons gave up that 37th pick. Yeah. Yeah, again, like another guy, like he's just a mystery toolbox of skills, and you don't know if it's going to come together. But, you know, again, if you have a guy that can protect the rim, that can hit threes, and he's a good athlete, and he just kind of does all these random things, and you see outlines of a pretty good role player. Yeah, you know, maybe he turns into something in three years. Maybe he doesn't. But for the 37th pick, I think that's good. So I really have nothing bad to say about their offseason at all. I thought they did really well. Yeah, I agree. And that's what, you know, I look at it as you traded, sign and trade Devontae Graham, who was a restricted free agent, get a first-round pick in return, and then you essentially have his replacement in James Booknight, you know, with your pick. So um, I just thought that all kind of flowed really well together. So a team we did talk a little bit about and, you know, gets talked about a little bit just because they were involved in the biggest trade of the offseason, but they they don't get talked about as much was the Washington Wizards. So uh, a roster that has had a turnover, right? You know, you trade your second star or whatever, Russell Westbrook, you get back KCP, Kuzma, Harrell. Um, they sign and trade for Spencer Dinwiddie coming off that ACL. Um, draft Corey Kispert. So we've talked a lot about shooting. That's a guy that I think a lot of people would argue is the best shooter in the draft. Again, by no means am I saying this is a team that's like competing for a championship, but just like a roster that interests me, I guess, in that you have Bradley Bill at the top, and then you put a lot of guys around him that I think are solid basketball players. Daniel Gafford, Thomas Bryant coming off an injury, Rui Hachimura, Advia, like just a lot of pieces there that I think I'm interested to see how it comes together. For sure. This was like the first Wizards team in a long time that has a lot of known commodities. Like yeah. it seems like for so long they've had so many guys that are like, oh, you know, maybe in two years they could be good. And <laughs> yeah. they've just been perpetually in that state for so long. And it's just like, you know, for them to finally like, you know, you have Harrow, you have Kuzma, you have, you know, KCP. Uh, have these, you know, Bradley Bill's great. And they still have those young guys. You have Hat- Hatchamura, you know, like, you know, like they still have Gafford. Like I like Gafford a lot. Yeah, like, I like, like Gafford a lot. A dude who can just jump, and you know, he just has a very specific NBA skill set that I think you know can make him a really good guy. Uh, Thomas Bryant coming back from injury. 
I have no clue how good they're going to be next season. I don't even know if Bradley Bill stays on this roster. But at the very least, you know, this is a team that you can put on the floor and feel pretty good about. You know, you have a lot of assets that can be flipped. And you have some young guys who could turn into something. Like, Kispert was, you know, was, like, one of the best shooters in the draft. I think that's just a really smart, straightforward pick. It's not a guy that, you know, again, like, um, you know, I was talking to, like, like Isak Banga the other day. Like, I'm not trying to hate on Isak Banga, but you're, they take so many risks on guys who might become something, but a lot of times they, they don't, right? Yeah. And Kispert is a guy that I feel pretty good about playing 12, 13 years in the NBA just as a really good shooter. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he has some secondary playmaking. So, just a very, I thought, rational offseason. Like, you got good value for Westbrook. Like, just overall, just, just very rational, very straightforward very much we don't have to force a direction like let's just get some good guys and who can play and if we want to bring Bill back and bring him back and uh, you know flip out the deadline or even just see if this unit can gel like that's fine so I look at the roster and this is finally a Wizards roster that just doesn't seem to be a bunch of like I don't know what yeah. this is going to end up being right like yeah. we have some good young guys we have Bill if one of those young guys takes a leap you know you're in pretty good shape and then maybe you're in a position to make a bigger move down the road so you yeah, know, I thought it, just getting your ducks in order type of offseason for them was pretty good agreed and, and I'm interested to see Kyle Kuzma I know he's a guy I talked about a lot but I, I and again I said this on the last podcast I believe that like I don't blame LeBron James for this but I feel like he was a guy that maybe struggled to play under the LeBron James pressure and mm-hmm. shadow and everything else of LA yeah. so I'm kind of interested to see if we see a little bit better version of Kyle Kuzma out in Washington um, and maybe a role that fits him better with a little less pressure and out of that shadow you know I didn't even mention Dinwiddie that's obviously yeah, the yeah. focal point of their offseason and he's good so yeah. yeah so very much this is probably a playoff team in the East but yeah Kuzma like yeah you know he's in a role where you know he can scored you're probably not as good of a shooter as you want not quite as good of a defender as you want but very clearly is just a useful NBA player to have so uh, you just look at his role you know that like does he start over Rui like I don't know because I think Rui is still giving you a lot of the same things except maybe a little bit better depending on how that skill trajectory is for him but he's in a position where he could be gifted a little bit more responsibility and maybe he could do something with that um like if you go spawn and you could play him and Rui together even like you know I'm not sure but yeah you know he's in a position where you know the pressure isn't as high the spotlight isn't as high uh yeah you know I'm, I'll be curious to see what, what he does next season because he hasn't been in this role probably since he was a rookie and of course when you're a rookie you have nothing but uh people are just happy to see that you can play right yeah so yeah I think this is a really interesting spot for him to be in and you know we'll see if he's able to do something with it or if he's just just still tends to be like that seven for eight guy right yep. so yeah yeah we'll I'm just I mean it's, it's interesting they say that's I, I keep that word about the wizard roster it's just kind of interesting, it is interesting. And, and, yeah. um so as, as we kind of transition to the west and again just a reminder i know the knicks had a huge offseason made a lot of moves i'll talk about that on thursday with chris lebron from the off the ball network he's coming on to record and he's a knicks fan so we'll get into the knicks then but a couple west teams here before i let you go amari um and i want to start with the pelicans they added a couple guys we've already talked about on this episode so Jonas valanciunas in the trade um for steven adams and uh eric bledsoe and then Devontae Graham, they also signed and traded for him. So they're on the other side of the Devontae Graham trade. This is a team that a lot of people haven't been, you know, impressed with their offseason. Yeah. So they were also involved in one of the, you know, the biggest, the first thing that dropped. Well, it's not official right now. I think the tampering thing is going on. But, you know, the sign and trade for Lonzo Ball to Chicago, they get a few guys in return. What do you think is going on in New Orleans? You know, you continue to see these reports. I guess this is what I want to ask really is of Zion Williamson, the clock is up, or the clock is the, the time is on for Zion Williamson, and for the organization to prove to him that they're headed in the right direction. Like, do you think there's, you know, you look at the names, Valanciunas, bring Ingram, Williamson, yeah. you know, do you think that's enough? Do you think there's some truth to this that Zion eventually is going to be unhappy or is unhappy? Yeah, the only move they made that I liked was drafting Trey Murphy. Everything else is just <laughs> kind of like I don't know what I don't know what's happening. Like I don't know why you wouldn't just you know bring Lonzo back. Um, yeah, like that signing trade. Like literally, as you got back, really make up that value. Um, like you know, I'm not sure. Like yeah, Lonzo, you know, like he's still a flop player, but he improved as a shooter. Like you know, he still has to show that he can you know be a, a better playmaker in the half court, but. It's just better, like, you know, I think his contract is fine. You know, like, maybe a little bit more than what you would want, but that's just par for the course for guys who are 23 years old. Uh, yeah, I just don't know why you would, you know, give up Lonzo and not sign and trade instead of just matching and then give up a first-round pick for Devontae Graham, who is not even as good as Lonzo. Like, yeah. it was just... Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really get that at all. And then the Jonas you know, Valanciunas signing trade, like Valanciunas is a really good player, 
but you run into the exact same issue where he's not a good fit next to Zion because they both operate in the paint. Like, I saw somebody tweet that he's a better shooter than Steven Adams, and it's like, okay, so one guy's a non-shooter and one guy's a guy that takes one three. <laughs> you know, if you, if you want a shooter, get a shooter. Like, go out and get Ke- Kelly Olenek. I was say, go sign Kelly yeah, Olenek, right? Get Kelly Olenek. Don't get Jonas Valanciunas. Um, I don't know what they did. <laughs> well, and, and so, I, but, I mean, so listening to you say that, though, makes me f- go back to what we just talked about, like the vision of the Detroit Pistons and make me feel really good about it, right? Because the, the Pelicans have their proven whatever star. I mean, yeah. I mean, Brandon Ingram's a star as well, but in Zion, and it doesn't seem like they put the right guys around him. No. And so it makes you appreciate Troy Weaver and his staff and this organization that they're doing that for Cade Cunningham. Like you just outlined it perfectly that Valanchunas doesn't exactly fit great next to Zion. So no. how does that, how does that move make sense? Yeah. You know, I think, yeah, I think if you're a fan, you probably look up what the Pistons are doing and you feel a lot better about it. I also think an underrated part in this is that I think Zion is a hard player I don't think he's a hard player to build around. I think he's a harder player to build around than maybe what's been discussed. Like he is not a you know a guy that is creating for people to the same extent that like a John Miranda is. And I don't even bring up John because they were in the same draft one and two. Um, you know he's not a great defensively. You know he's six six right. You know he's still heavy. Like yeah he is hyper efficient in the paint. Like all time great scorer in the paint already. But, like, there's a lot that he's not giving you that you have to make up through other guys, and that doesn't let the Pelicans off the hook because, you know, again, like, their offseason doesn't make any sense, and it seems like they kind of just woke up one, uh, you know, July 20th, and we're like, oh, crap. Like, we have, like, you know, a few days to figure out what we're doing, and they just kind of made up something on the fly. Like, I really don't know what the plan was. But, yeah, I, I do think Zion is a player where you have to kind of fill a lot of holes around him. Like, for example, like, what's his real position? Is he a power forward? Is he a small forward? That he doesn't defend... So you have to put a center next to him who can both defend and shoot. And those there just aren't too many guys like that who you can easily attain, right? So it's not Jonas Valanciunas. But, again, Kelly Olenek can't defend. Zion can't defend. So who's your rip protector there, right? Like, I think he is an underrated. Like, I don't think that's been discussed a lot. But you just look at his skill set, and I think it's tough to find guys who fit next to him perfectly. Um, Jackson Hayes, and I know he just, you know, he's got the situation with the police going on, you know, so I hope that... Uh, works out uh jackson hayes theoretically is a guy that could do that because he you know like a lot of upside but as a shooter and as a, a, a rim protector theoretically he could get there but again you know i think part of the issue is that zion's a tough guy to kind of fill the holes around and they've done a terrible job of doing it but i still think that that's going to be a recurring issue unless he gets a lot better on defense that's a that's a really good point like i mean to bring that up that you know i think sometimes it's easy it's easy for me to sit here in this chair and just blame the organization but whenever like you say you really look into it maybe it's not that easy and you can like you said yeah you may want this guy but maybe that guy doesn't want to come play in new orleans or you can't acquire him based on salary cap or trade or or whatever it is so i think that's a really good point yeah so i think like again like the lines like all that stuff doesn't make any sense like that's sort of outside the spectrum with zion and even you know some of the moves that can get right they still kind of thuggle like if you just draft trey murphy and then bring lots of ball back like that's an underwhelming offseason but that's still probably better than what you did yeah but um, but yeah but I, i i do think zion's a tough player to build around in some ways and uh, this could be an ongoing issue regardless of where Zion goes. If he forces his way to whoever, like they still may have that same issue of trying to just find the right chess pieces around him. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So we got about five minutes here. So I want to I want to go one last team, and it, it's the Golden State Warriors, and. I'm going to ask kind of like a, a specific question so we don't have to get right into like the moves they made. Um, I am excited to watch this summer league game today between Orlando and Golden State. So we get, you know, Suggs and Franz Wagner, the Michigan yeah. guy, and then Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga. But uh, just, I guess, to kind of put you on the spot, I didn't put this specific question in the outline, so I apologize. But do you think the championship window for the Warriors is, is done? Or do you think there's a, a, a still a two or three? We saw Steph Curry maybe play the best basketball of his career last we year. Did, yeah. um, I'm, I've said it before on the podcast. Uh, he's one of my favorite players in the league. Clay coming off two injuries is, is worrisome, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I think it's easy just to think he's going to come back and be the same player. You still have Wiggins. You know, Draymond, James Wiseman is kind of a wild card yet. But yes. do you think that, that, you know, they're bringing in Igadala, Otto Porter Jr., Bielitsa. Do you think the window's closed or do you think they have a chance here to make it in the next couple of years? I don't think their window's closed. I think obviously the biggest uh, question mark is Clay because you're coming off of two of the worst injuries you can suffer as a <laughs> yeah. basketball player. And, you know, we've seen guys come back from those with, you know, increasingly better success. I mean, you know, Kevin Durant comes off of an Achilles and he's just as good as he's, he's ever been. Yep. Um, you know, we've seen guys come off of ACLs in recent years and they've been fine. 
uh, there's a chance that he comes back, and because of his type of game, like he's not a high flyer, he's just a catch and shoot defensive guy. If he's 85% of what he still was, he is still probably good enough to help you get there. Um, yeah, so, you know, if there is, you wouldn't wish on anybody, but if there's a player who's going to go through that, I think Clay probably has, a, you know, some of the highest odds to still be close to what he was previously, you know, which I think is fine. He's 31, you know, he's not 34. Um, you know, we'll just have to see. But yeah, Curry, like, he's 33, but I mean, his side of the game is just going to age, like, like very well, right? He just had an incredible season. Uh, Draymond's still Draymond. I think Otto Porter was a really good pickup. Yeah. Just as a guy who just does a lot of different things. Like, he's been hurt, but if he could stay healthy, like, he just as, like, your fourth best guy, I think that's the perfect role for him. Uh, Iggy, like, I don't know what Iggy gives you at this point, but he's Iggy, and, you know, just from a locker room standpoint and chemistry standpoint, I think that's good. Uh, people criticize him for not moving on from some of the 14th picks, which I What did you think about that, where they didn't... Do you just think that maybe it didn't materialize? I think or? it just didn't materialize. Like, you know, you're looking at it from the you know perspective of if you're not getting a top four or five pick in this draft, like, there's a pretty big drop-off between five and seven, and it's just kind of like, you know, who are you going to give up for, for that? But for you to, you know, take that, and then you get Kaminga and Moody, I think were two really good picks. I mean, Moody, like, you know, he's a three and D guy. Like, his game, like, I think he gave you something as a rookie. Kaminga's another big wild card. But, I mean, again, like, we saw him, like, last week. Like, the dude is just, like, an incredible athlete. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if he plays for him next season. Like, he's still so young. But if you're going to keep those picks, then I think Kaminga and Moody is probably a best-case scenario, given that Kaminga was, like, pretty firmly the fifth-best guy in his draft until, like, three weeks ago. Um, and then James Wiseman, again, like, you know, he was the second or third pick last year. And, uh, like, yeah, I mean, he's James Wiseman, right? Like, he does got the five-star recruit. We didn't see him in college that much. But, like, great athlete. Uh, he does a lot of different things and haven't really had that type of dynamics, potentially that type of dynamics in there before. Uh, so you would hope to see him make a pretty big leap from year one to year two, which, you know, we've, we've seen guys do that. So it's cer- certainly possible. But they have just a lot of different pieces that, you know, I think this could turn into something. Uh, pretty unique. You have a weird mix of guys who are established and guys who, you know, just have a ton of upside and uh, no clue what to expect for them, but I don't think their championship windows closed. I think they have enough to get there, so. Yeah, that's what, I mean, I just, Steph doing what he did last year and you imagine he's going to continue, but Clay's a wild card, like you said, you know, if, but you, you make a good point. His game is a little more conducive than a lot of other guys because it's not necessarily based on athleticism. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming off those injuries, you may be able to see it. Uh, I love the Moses Moody pick, you know, because it seems like he's pretty NBA ready. I think, you know, if you want to go two other wild cards, I guess, is, you know, Kaminga and Wiseman. Is, can Kaminga be ready earlier than what people are thinking? And then James Wiseman, he, he looked good, you know, at times last season in injury and obviously it was a weird year for everybody because of COVID yeah. and everything so um, I'm really interested it just it's to me as a complete 1000% outsider it seemed like the organization wasn't super high on him just from an outsider's perspective and that may just be an outsider's perspective of, of what it was but I thought that was interesting that they didn't seem quite as high on him um and I didn't really understand why because I, I thought he played well at times. For sure. I think some of it is just, and you know, and I don't cover Golden State, so I want to speak from the perspective of, you know, I know exactly what happened. But I think when you have a team that's competed at a high level for a long time and you've had a really veteran locker room for a long time, they have a young guy come in and, I mean, that season just got derailed by injuries, obviously. Um, you know, but he doesn't probably show everything you want. And, you, know, you know, I think some frustration mounts. And he has some, you know, he got hurt too. And, uh yeah, I mean, you know, he's just so young. Uh, but, you know, again, like you mentioned, the rookies last year that came in, it was just such a weird year, yeah. you know, with COVID, no summer league, no preseason, really, none of that. And then it was extra weird for him because he only played three or four games at Memphis before the season got shut down. Yeah, so that's he was, true. So he's just working out in gyms all the time. He's not doing any significant five-on-five. Five. Uh, so he's just such an unknown that it's just tough to even know what to expect. But, you know, obviously it would be silly to write a guy off after one year. Uh, especially after a year like this. Like, it's the same thing as Killian, right? Like, you know, you have guys like Killian's season ended early. He didn't play 5 on 5 for a long time. And then you come in and you have two weeks to prepare before you're playing against NBA players. And, like, okay, like, just because the mellow ball and, you know, and Anthony Edwards figured it out doesn't mean that that's normal, right? Yeah. You know, like some guys, it takes longer for them to figure it out. And, uh, you know, Wiseman has all the physical gifts in the world to be a really good NBA player. And, you know, he's had a real offseason under his belt now. Uh, you know, he, he's had last season under his belt, so he knows you know, what's expected and what he needs to do. Uh, he's on a team where he can just play a very defined role as a rebounder and defender. You don't need him, you know, trying to post up or, you know, like shoot threes. Like, if he shoots the three, it's great, but you don't need him to. Um, you, know, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good situation for him. And, you know, I think that, honestly, that could probably be a swinging factor in next season if Wiseman could come in and at least 
uh, give you something close to what you got from a guy like uh, Andrew Bogut or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like defensively, he has to make a pretty big leap, but he has the, the tools, and Golden State's never had that type of athlete like him at that position. So, yeah, you know, we'll just have to see. But yeah. you kind of look at it, and, you know, at 2015, like, you have Otto Porter doing the Harrison Barnes role in the same big three. Like, you yeah. know, they still have all, all those same things intact, in so we'll just have to see how it comes together. Absolutely. I think you brought up a good point, and one that all of us Piston fans need to realize, like, the progression and improvement isn't always linear. Like, there's some peaks and valleys yeah. and ups and downs, and we're going to see that from Cade and Killian and Sadiq and Isaiah and all these young guys in Detroit, along with James Wiseman and every other rookie. Like, yeah, some come in just take the world by storm but that's not going to be everybody and no so. it's not and I, I already feel like the season is going to be a stressful one for Pistons fans because they're <laughs> expecting the world and these guys are still so young that they're you know, like some of the benchmarks you want them to hit they're just not going to hit yeah. like they're just not you know they're not going to this isn't going to be a linear uh, you know building off of last season some things are going to be better than you might expect some things are going to be worse they might start hot and fall off they might start horribly and get hot we just don't know yeah. but uh, yeah I'm just going to start putting it out there right now like you know just don't get your hopes up too high because this team is still really young and yeah, with young guys, you just don't know what to expect. You and know? and yeah. don't overreact to the Jalen Green twenty point games or the Scotty Barnes <laughs> double doubles. Like, and because th- those guys can be yeah. great and it's fine, and, right. and they may be great earlier. Yeah. But um, but that doesn't mean it was the wrong pick or you know it's the end of the world or whatever. Again, yeah. everybody progresses at a different rate. So yeah. Milwaukee just won a championship with Giannis and Middleton as their top two guys. Yeah. And not not none of those guys were you know anywhere close to where they were to like year three or four in their career like that's just how it goes like you just got to give things time to play out and um yeah like don't expect don't expect 45 wins next season you know they might win 35 and that doesn't mean it was a bad season so i'll just put that out there right now no that's uh, that's a great example there with milwaukee so amari man i've I've taken up enough of your time this was this was (laughs) awesome i had a blast man Uh, again able to do it in person for the first time um after 40 some episodes so i really enjoyed this hopefully you'll come back on sometime Uh, i'd love to have you and and talk pistons um but just want to give you a chance here let the people know where they can find you and all the great stuff that you do no well first thanks a lot for having me glad we got to link here in Las Vegas where all the action is happening. Uh, this was a ton of fun and we'll definitely do it again. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at first last name O-M-A-R-I-S-A-N-K-O-F-A and of course I write for the Detroit Free Press so you can follow my content uh, on Freep.com. Awesome, man. Thank you again to Amari. As always, I want to thank all of you that are downloading and listening to the podcast. Your support and of the podcast and all the work I've been doing, which I did just put out a, a Cade Cunningham breakdown from Game 1 in, in Summer League, can be found at Detroit Bad Boys. It's just been incredible. I appreciate it so much. Make sure you check up on any episodes you may have missed. I'll have uh, Chris LeBron on here later in the week. Should be dropping Friday, August 13th. Until then, make sure you're checking out everything going on at Detroit Bad Boys, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.